Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, folks. Our Wimbledon coverage this year is sponsored by Local Tennis Leagues, the home of friendly, competitive tennis in the UK. With over 10,000 players in local tennis leagues up and down the country, it's never been easier to find someone locally with a similar ability to have a hit with. It really is tennis on your terms, competitive and with total control of when and where you play over eight week rounds. It's also a fun way to get fit, meet new people, make the most of your local park or tennis venue and get those competitive juices flowing. And it's absolutely open to all standards. You just need to be 18 or over to play. So whether you're at the beginning of your tennis journey like me or a master on the court like me, there's something for everyone. Once you're signed up, there's also the chance to win prizes, play for points and receive a free tube of tennis balls just for playing your matches. You also get a host of other great benefits, including access to the Wimbledon ballot. So what are you waiting for? Join Local Tennis Leagues today at www.localtennisleagues.com and use our exclusive checkout code WEEKLY50 in capitals for 50% off your £18 entry fee. That's www.localtennisleagues.com, WEEKLY50 at the checkout. The link is in the description. So get ready to play some friendly competitive tennis on a court near you. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim on today's Wimbledon semi-finals catch-up, sponsored by local tennis leagues. Novak Djokovic reaches his eighth Wimbledon final. Rafa withdraws with injury. And Onjabor will face off against Elena Rabakina in a battle of first-time slam finalists. <laughs> Kim, today is the 8th of July and we are here to catch up on the semi-finals at Wimbledon at Tennis Weekly HQ. Now, normally we would be catching up on all four batches across the men's and women's semi-finals in the singles draws. But unfortunately, we've it's not the case. We've only got three matches to talk about, although there are a lot of still talking points to discuss with the non-match between Rafa and Kyrgios. But I think it's safe to say it's been a very dramatic last 24 hours, for particularly for the, the Wimbledon men's draw. Yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't surprising when I heard the news that Rafa had withdrawn. I think, you know, we saw how, how much discomfort he was in during that quarterfinal against Taylor Fritz and how it was affecting his serve. And we knew that it was a possibility that he might withdraw ahead of the semi-final. And, mm. you know, it was obviously a difficult decision for him to make he doesn't do this without good reason and ultimately you know he he hates it he hates withdrawing he hates he he? hates it I mean I think he's had seven career walkovers in in total uh for various reasons you know that's going back to like 2004 so it is once in a blue moon and we know that he often plays with various ailments and you know will only withdraw if it is something super kind of difficult and I mean in this case you know he had a he had a scan I think yesterday which showed that there was a seven millimeter tear in his abdomen and that if he was to play on it could be made a lot worse and that would you know have a it would mean a long injury layoff whereas at the moment it's kind of a three to four recovery three to four week recovery period as it is so you know based on the fact that he didn't think he'd be able to play one or two five set matches to win the title and he had the risk of making it a lot worse I think it's definitely the right decision although I know some people are unhappy that we've been denied that showdown with Kyrgios yes and we'll we'll get on to that and all the kind of fallout from that match not happening but Kim I know that you were so much in denial about it you you I believe you have gone on a you've gone on a trip up north to the Lake District little family holiday 
Were you in that much despair after the, the Rafa withdrawal? You just wanted to get away from it all? Yeah, I was, as soon as he announced that, I had that press conference, <laughs> I was like, right, I'm off. I don't want to be anywhere near London. Can't stand it. <laughs> My holidays can begin now. Yeah, no, um, I was already uh, off early on Thursday morning. So well, well before Rafa's decision. Um, yeah, pre-plat, pre-booked holiday was going to go ahead regardless. So yeah, it's been lovely, lovely weather up here at the moment. I know it's been lovely in Wimbledon as well because Novak Djokovic was feeling the heat a little today. Um, so hopefully, I think this this weekend will, will certainly be nice. So don't think the, the roof will be in action for any of the finals. Mm. <laughs> unless they go really 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 long for a strange reason i don't know <laughs> we're all set it looks like for a mini heat wave in london so it should be glorious sunshine for finals weekend but let's talk about those men's semi-finals we did have one match that did take place today that was novak djokovic versus britain's cam norrie djokovic getting the job done eventually winning in four sets two six six three six two six four into his eighth Wimbledon final I think now he's out on his own with a number of appearances in Grand Slam finals reaching I think the number 32 so uh, yeah it's uh, another sort of record-breaking achievement in some respects Kim but at the same time what was going on in that first set because it was not the Novak Djokovic we were we were expecting to walk out onto the tennis court. No, exactly. When I um, I, I missed the start of the match, and when I was looking at the the live scores, I thought, "What on earth is going on? <laughs> what is Novak doing? Like losing that first set six two? Because you know, I don't think anyone would have really expected. He got broken three times. Yeah, and uh, really struggling to find rhythm. You know, way more unforced errors than we're used to seeing from Djokovic. Just not what you would expect to see from someone who is, you know, a very seasoned um, contender. You know, has won this title six mm. times against, you know, Norrie playing in front of home fans. First slam final ever. He would be the one to to be like, having a lack of, of rhythm. But um, yeah, Norrie obviously did really, really well in that first set. Little sign of nerves and um, got the job done 6-2. I think... The way the match went after that was pretty much as expected as I think we thought it was going to go from the, the very start. Um, you know, three three straight sets after that for, for Novak. Um, he definitely, you know, upped his level, showed some great touch and uh, served a lot better. And, you know, you know, kind of par for the course in the end, really. <laughs> and it wasn't down to a pep talk in the mirror this time, Kim. It was down to his magic hat because he didn't play the first set with his hat on but he put one on uh, for the second set and yeah it all seemed to go it all seemed to go much better but um no as, as you said it, it was very much an odd start for for Djokovic I know we've we've spoken many times particularly in, in Grand Slam context about him dropping the first set but it was just surprising I think at, on on this stage at this this time in the tournament in the semi-finals you would have thought that yeah, it's understandable maybe in the first week, particularly when, you know, you might not have had any sort of warm up event, you know, only played the odd match. Um, and maybe there's a little bit of signs of rust and adaptation to the grass court. But I really wasn't expecting it coming into the, you know, the semi final was so much on the line, particularly given, you know, Rafa's withdrawal yesterday. I-, I would have been thinking something like, you know, Kyrgios has got a straight route into the final, hasn't been able to, or hasn't needed to, to step on court. So, you know he's going to be going to be fresh for that. So for Djokovic, I was thinking I'm the I'm the better tennis player here, but I'd back myself given all my experience at Grand Slams versus Cam Norrie, who's in his first ever Grand Slam semi final, and I would have been looking to get the job done as quick as quick as possible, as few minutes on court as possible. So I'm can go ahead and focus my attention on on Nick Kyrgios in the final. Yeah, I mean, knowing that your opponent in the final has had like three to four almost days of, of rest, um, mm. uh, you obviously don't really want to, you know, get embroiled in a long five-setter for your semi-final. But, you know, in the end, it was two hours, 34 minutes, you know, pretty... Um, pretty standard it wasn't wasn't super long I think I know Novak went five mm. in his quarterfinal against Sinner but ultimately time on court he hasn't he hasn't really had um the most grueling uh schedule I would say I think you know we know he's supremely fit and I think you know when he first came back after not playing you know really at the start of the year he was sort of taking his time to get back up to to full fitness but he seems to be there now um so I don't think that's going to be a factor or a concern and if anything 
I mean, if Kyrgios does potentially have a shoulder issue, like a little niggle there, Djokovic is probably the one perhaps in better shape. Um, you know, doesn't seem to have any physical ailments. But it's funny you mentioned the, the cap, actually, because I always feel that when Novak plays with a cap, he's less uh, effective. But obviously today it was it was the opposite. <laughs> um, yeah, he turned it around. So, yeah, obviously helped today. But <laughs> Probably the biggest sort of night and day difference I felt watching you know, watching the match between that first set and the rest of the match was his serve. Um, as I said, he was broken almost at ease and at will by Nori in that first set three times. Um, yes, Djokovic did also break Nori, but um, yeah, his serving was just not what I was expecting. But if you compare that to kind of sets two, three and four, his serving really was a lot, lot better, particularly his first serve. It really, I think, got him out of trouble where you wondered if if there was a little door opening uh, of opportunity for Nori. You know, I think I saw, you know, a few times when he had 15, 30, love 30. But no, Djokovic's serve just just was getting him some, you know, some free points. And also when he was going to the net as well, I mean, his touch at the net today, I felt was was exceptional at times, particularly on the half volley. There were just some shots that he made that I was just like, there are not many players who would be able to make that shot. But Novak Djokovic is one of them. And um, yeah, it was uh, impressive to see, I think, him being able to kind of reset recalibrate things yes Cam Norrie can make it awkward and and difficult for opponents to find their rhythm and maybe you know Djokovic was was feeling that in in the first set but certainly once he found his his groove after an hour or so it it looked like the formality we were sort of expecting and as much as I felt Cam Norrie was trying to g up the crowd to to find inspiration at the end of the day I just don't think his you know unfortunately his execution on the court it wasn't where it was needed to be to really, really push, you know, Djokovic to a place that maybe someone like a, a Yannick Sinner was able to do. Yeah, and I think you know it was a perfectly respectable performance from Nori. Um, I think he certainly has been a credit to himself, and I mean, what he's done this tournament, reaching the semi-finals, is is fantastic. So he should be, mm. you know, super proud of of what he's done, and um, he went all. You know, it was obviously a very um, almost impossible task coming up against Djokovic really at, at Wimbledon at this at this stage. So I think, you know, he should hopefully go away feeling very proud of himself and mm. not ruining any sort of super missed opportunities. I mean, it would have been fantastic uh, if he'd have managed to like sneak a fifth set or something. Uh, you know, the crowd <laughs> would have absolutely loved that, I'm sure. But, you know, it wasn't to be. Djokovic is into um, his eighth Wimbledon final. He's... He's only lost one final here in his in his career. So chances are looking very strong for him to to get another win. But, you know, we were wondering whether, well, this time yesterday, before Rafa announced his withdrawal, we were debating who it would be probably playing Novak in that final. Um, but we now know it's it's Nick Kyrgios because Rafa has, um, as, as we said earlier, withdrawn with the abdominal tear. Um, I mean... A lot of people on social media sort of ruminating, oh, you know, we don't have two semi-finals now. That's such a shame for the tournament, for the fans. You know, what about the people who have paid hundreds of pounds to be there? They're only getting one men's semi. Uh, put Taylor Fritz back in the draw. <laughs> what do you make mm. of, of that that kind of opinion where people think that, you know, Rafa's opponent essentially from the quarterfinal should, should be allowed back in to the draw? Yeah, I saw, you know, conversations and big, big debates about this. And I, you know, I understand it from the, you know, the fan point of view, because it does feel like a a kick in the teeth when, you know, you've got fans, you know, who've got, who've had these men's semi-final tickets for two, two, three years. You know, there've been spectators who've had those tickets been carried over from the the Wimbledon that got cancelled due to the, you know, due to, due to the pandemic. So from that, point of view it does yeah feel like a shame that you're only going to get one men's semi-final match and you know we don't we don't actually get a lot of these you know situations but at the same time I do just think it's just unfair I feel like on the rest of the competition to say Taylor Fritz you know you've lost your match against Rafa don't worry because he's withdrawn you can come back into the tournament I just for me that feels like a very slippery slope very messy situation to be in and I just don't think there should be any sort of talk really of losers being able to be entered back into a main draw it feels like a very definite 
situation we had at the you know the end of that that semi-final in terms of Nadal won that match yes he was injured but he won that match and anyone who's stepped foot on a on a tennis court whether that's you know, on the tour or even in your club I think once that loss has happened that is a that's a finite thing you know that is an absolute sort of situation and for me because it's so absolute I don't see I don't feel like it should be reversible and Fritz should be allowed back in just because his opponent has withdrawn afterwards. Yeah, I am in agreement with you, Joel, because, I mean, if Taylor Fritz then went on to win the tournament, there would be massive question marks, mm. wouldn't there? Asterisks, oh, he shouldn't have even been there. And Fritz himself has said, in, you know, after the match that, um, you know, he doesn't deserve to be in the tournament. Still, no. if he lost that match. I love that he came out and said that, by the way. I think that's, a, yeah, a really good move on his part. And, and it's the truth. I mean, this is how a sport is played. Like, it doesn't always work out it's not you know perfectly going to go to form and and Rafa could very well have stepped onto that court in the semi-final and retired after a couple of games in which case the fans have not had a match basically either in that situation and then the schedulers of the tournament you know haven't they've, they've got to suddenly fill the schedule really last minute and you know you could have it's just yeah I think you know sometimes these things do happen like but they don't happen very often I think this is the first time in, in about 100 years almost at Wimbledon that someone has gone through into the final due to a walkover mm. in the semi so you know it's once in a blue moon and I think changing the rules to allow defeated opponents to come back in is just not really going to happen <laughs> No, I don't. I don't think it should happen at you know Grand Slams. I understand. You know, it does happen at the you know the Tour Finals, for example, in in the Round Robin, yes, where that's true. You know, a player doesn't feel a player doesn't feel like they're able to compete, and the alternate comes in. And I understand it more in that situation because it's the Round Robin, start of the tournament, and there are schedules that need to be played. But certainly after in Grand Slams, towards the end of the tournament. It just doesn't feel it just doesn't feel fair, does it? And I don't think competitors like Nadal, even when they're playing their match against Fritz and they feel injured, they don't want to retire or feel like I don't feel like they should feel that pressure of oh, but what do the you know what will the fans think if I I withdraw afterwards and they're you know left disappointed by only having you know one men's semi final match? It shouldn't you know, they shouldn't have to think like that. They should be thinking about themselves. They should be thinking about competing to the absolute bitter end. And that's what we know, you know, Rafa and his, and his men, you know, mentality. And uh, it really should be about what the, you know, the player wants to do. And if Rafa wants to show that, you know, he can win a match being injured and, um, you know, then withdraw, that's up to him. And I think it's up to the organisers to decide how do we, you know, how do we combat that? But I don't think there should be any onus on a player to feel like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to play my men's semi-final. Therefore, I'm going to retire mid-match in my quarter-final. So spectators get a guaranteed two matches in in the <laughs> in the semi-final. Yeah, I mean that would be a very altruistic person who put you know <laughs> all those fans ahead of. I don't even think Roger Federer <laughs> would do that. One of the most altruistic I feel people on the tour. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, also sometimes you know you feel terrible in that moment, but you think, well, after a day of rest, I might feel okay and be able to carry on. So in the moment, you think I'll just get over the finish line here, and we'll see how mm. we are tomorrow. And see, Rafa did that, and it still wasn't great, so he had to put, pull out. But um. Yeah, I know we have also, we have lucky losers coming into the main draw. You know, people have lost in qualifying and they feel a slot in the main draw. So, I mean, you could argue that well, they do it for that. Why not later on in the tournament? But it's very unlikely. Mm. That, I mean, I don't think a lucky loser, well, I th lucky losers have won tournaments, I think, but smaller tournaments on the tour, but obviously once in a blue moon again, don't think it's ever happened at a, a slam. But that, that's still like a jump from mm. the qualifying draw to the main yeah, draw still kind of two and separate I, entities. yeah yeah and whereas here it's like it, it feels like a second life in the main draw which doesn't feel fair you know this is you know the main draw at a at, a, an, at an event is the you know it's the top level and there should be I feel like no you know no kind of compromises there and again I just think it's a very messy situation you could potentially get yourself into if you did allow players to come back into the tournament because you'd just be opening up I think you know conversations on you know the integrity of of letting players back in 
who have lost. And and as you said, you know, we've we've spoken about, I think, in the past having asterisks and against people's players' names, champions' names because of because of COVID or because of the the players who were there or or in the final. But you'd just be kind of opening up that conversation even more, I feel, if you added players back into the tournament. Could you imagine, Kim, a lucky loser asterisk winning, you know, a tournament? It just would be, it would just look very, very silly. And yeah, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right. And it doesn't feel like something, to be honest, it doesn't even feel like something I would even like, you know, I know how we joke about testing things at kind of like the next gen finals or something. It's not even something I would even consider testing because it just, to me, is just so just not sport. Yeah, and also, I mean, logistically, a lot of players just go home immediately after they mm. lose. They get a flight quite soon after. Whereas, you know, you don't know if someone is always necessarily injured who you might lose to. You don't know what their plans are or agenda are. Oh, oh, they might suddenly pull out. I better stick around for two <laughs> days just in case. I mean, that's just not plausible and um someone could suddenly develop something awful the night before their match out of the blue and mm. it's just it's not really yeah I, I think I think I think there's enough if you wrote a pros and cons list there'll be a lot more cons than pros but funnily enough it did make me think back in the day I can't remember what year this this stopped happening someone with um much more historic knowledge of tennis will have to help us out here but they used to have it where the previous year's, you know, champion, the defending champion only had to rock up like for the final and they were just like automatically straight in the final and everyone else, oh, really? yeah, everyone else had to compete for the chance well, that's testing my to, historical to play the game. defending champion. I mean, I think <laughs> I learned about this in the Wimbledon Museum like many years ago. Mm. And I mean, they must have stopped doing this like way before the open era. But I just think that's ridiculous because you could literally keep winning Wimbledon, but only play one match. And it's just, <laughs> and then the person you're playing in the finals had to go through like several rounds. Um, mm. I mean, I just can't believe that ever happened. But there we go. Um, let's look at, I mean, let's look ahead to the men's final because we do have Djokovic, Kyrgios. Um lot of chat going around amongst Rafa fans about um, who they will be supporting in that final. Because on one side, you know, you've got Djokovic going for his 21st Grand Slam title and, you know, us Rafa fans, you know, our man's on, on number 22. Do we want Novak to, to get any more and be, be mm. close to that? But on the <laughs> other hand, you know, no, um, Novak Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios is not probably Rafa fans' favourite personality. He's not top of the Christmas card list, is No, he? and I mean, even if you're not a Rafa fan, a lot of people aren't particularly a fan of Kyrgios. So, mm. you know, a lot of people don't particularly want to see him winning anyway. Um, so that's the, you know, debate. <laughs> I mean, just, just on that, because I, I think there was a newspaper headline today or, or yesterday I saw that was, is this Wimbledon's worst nightmare? Yes, yeah. Nick, Nick yeah. Kyrgios in the final. For example, hypothetical situation, Nick Kyrgios... Wimbledon 2022 men's champion he's going to be in court next month is 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 that a good is that a good look also the number of fines he's obviously received this week some of the statements he's been making in in interviews on court and in the press room you've got to think that there are probably people at Wimbledon much like I feel like a lot of just general tennis fans are just very divided I mean he's a very divisive person he's very marmite people Love him, people hate him, and again, what, what, where do you think Wimbledon are thinking on Nick Kyrgios in terms of? Yeah, it's exciting him finally fulfilling on his talent and making a, a Grand Slam final for the first time. But at the same time, given all the things that have happened, I think secretly kind of hoping, please don't cause a scene in the final. <laughs> cause a scene, exactly, exactly. Don't um, lower the tone in a Wimbledon final. Yeah, I mean, mm. I, I think that. I don't know this for sure, but I, I actually feel that Kyrgios is probably going to behave himself. I think he will hopefully appreciate the the magnitude of the situation and realise that, you know, it's a moment that deserves and warrants a bit more respect. respect. But I mean, what actually, yeah, I mean, that sounds silly me saying that because just because it's a women in final doesn't mean you should respect the court or the staff anymore. Like you should always respect the court and the staff. But I just, I feel like he's probably is going to behave unless he... I don't know is get well I don't know but I'm I just I I feel like it's probably we're, we're expecting fireworks and drama and tantrums and actually it, it might be a bit 
disappointing to some people because they want that. <laughs> I mean, Djokovic did say, you know, after his match against Nori that he expects there to be emotional fireworks, mm. um, in his words, in the final, which was interesting because at the same time, you know, I think certainly if this match had happened maybe two, three, four years ago, and I think back then it was a different Nick Kyrgios in the sense, yes, we still see those outbursts, but I think... I think we can all I think I anyway, I I I feel like he's sort of changed a little bit his perspective and he has matured, I feel, not maybe like overly, but he's certainly I think changed over time. And certainly his relationship with Djokovic has also changed because you know he has spoken about the fact that their relationship is now, in his words, a bit of a bromance. And uh it's got to a point where actually they're messaging each other on on Instagram DMs. I, I would love to see what those DMs are saying, but this is this feels quite quite a far this feels quite far away from you know what we've seen before I think on particularly on Nick Kyrgios's Twitter um, you know tweeting things about Novak Djokovic and you know some of their past encounters so from that kind of situation I was a bit surprised to hear Djokovic say yeah I think there's going to be emotional fireworks on both sides when you know Nick Kyrgios is saying actually it's all cool between us now we're we're actually we're actually having a bit of a bromance, but I, I do. I, I still think, you know, Kyrgios and Sissipas, they probably had a bit of a bromance going at some point, And now that has completely soured. So again, it could be the same situation. Yeah, maybe that bromance will end uh, in about two days time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. So Kyrgios has a winning record over Novak. They were, the two matches mm. that they played, they were in 2017. They were on hard courts. That was not, I think, a period of time where Djokovic was actually at his best. Um, things were not really great between these players. So things are different now. Um, and it's a Grand Slam final, which always changes the situation. You know, it's very, mm. very different playing, you know, over five sets on a scale like this. So I really don't see that head to head as being too significant, to be quite honest with you. Um, and, you know, one thing I saw today, you know, Kirill said that when he found out that Rafa had withdrawn and that he was already into the final, he said he only got like an hour of sleep the night after. Mm. So last night, I guess that would have been. And, you know, that that's not ideal. Uh, if, if, and, you know, he said he was feeling really nervous. And I mean, it's quite interesting that he's openly admitted that. And uh, maybe it's going to, you know, clear and get out of his system before the final. But I don't know. I'm just, you know, what what kind of curious are we going to see? And I, I know he's been in, in, in a doubles slam final before you know obviously won the Australian Open men's double this doubles this year but singles is very different and I just I can you know his serve that's been working like so well this this fortnight is is he going to be able to to is he going to be able to perform the way that we have mm. seen him you know in in the matches prior and you know not to say that Djokovic is is gonna play lights out tennis we've seen him get to slams and not be able to perform you know, the US Open last year, for example, but that was very different. I think he was really going for, for history there, wasn't he, to try and do the the calendar slam. So I, I think he's going to be a lot more relaxed in, in this final. Yeah, it's, I mean, for me, that this matchup is a classic sort of contrast between you've got the Nick Kyrgios, the big server against Novak Djokovic, one of the big returners of, of this generation. I mean, I watched him against Tim Van Rijthoven earlier on in the tournament, another guy who had a, a big serve under the roof, indoor court. You felt like it would have favor him, favoured him and Djokovic just just really kind of took it apart. And, uh, you know, for me, if, if Nick Kyrgios does want to win, he's going to not get nervous, hope that his first serve is firing. But as you said, I think this is a stage that he's never been on before. And I don't know how his personality is going to sort of, is it going to kind of gel with it? And, you know, when you've got someone like Djokovic returning your serves across the net, I don't know how if if Nick is going to get really frustrated at maybe the lack of three points he might get from, you know, his first serve that, you know, we've seen him get, you know, throughout the tournament. So surprise, surprise, he needs, he's going to need to handle the, you know, handle himself and, and conduct himself in the right way. Because as soon as he loses any sort of focus, I think Djokovic will kind of go in for the kill. And um, it could be a match that I think either goes that way and it could be a very easy straight sets win for, you know, for Novak Djokovic. But at the same time, if if Kyrgyzstan is, is firing and he doesn't kind of, I think, get embroiled you know, with himself 
and starts monologuing, interacting with the crowd, gets on and focuses on his game, then I certainly think it could be a really close and tight affair. I think, yeah, it could go both. I genuinely think this match could go both ways. Yeah, and I think there's a, almost a sort of love-hate situation going on. People, Some mm. people don't really want this final. Maybe they're not keen on both players, but they're kind of intrigued and drawn to it regardless. Intrigued, exactly. Um, so I don't know if I will be sitting in front of the telly sort of avidly watching or I will be like refusing That's to fine, watch. Kim, because I'll be messaging you <laughs> on WhatsApp about it minute by minute. I have a running commentary from you. Um, I'm I'm just, yeah, I'm, I think intrigue is the, the word of the moment for this match. Um, mm. I mean, I do hope it's a good good match and I I don't really want there to be any sort of awful circumstances, but you just have to sort of, you, you could never rule that out with Nick Kyrgios. He's, he's always a, you know, certain amount of volatility when he steps on a tennis court. So um, it's going to be, it's going to be inter- interesting. I know that's a really naff word to use. It's going to be interesting. Uh, for the same, re- you know, the women's final is also going to be interesting, but for completely different reasons. Um, so I do think we have got some um less obvious finals perhaps coming up which is which is good and, and we'll get on to the, the women's final um in a second in the, in the second half but I let's have a prediction Joel um who are you going to go with for your men's champion Wimbledon 2022 I'm gonna go with Nick Kyrgios oh are you actually <laughs> <laughs> um yes I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with Nick Kyrgios I'm gonna say Kyrgios in four sets wow i think i think novak djokovic has shown this tournament it's not just been the odd match there's been a few times where he's you know he's dropped a set and um you know has not played very good tennis and i think nick kyrgios i think he will rise to the occasion i think he will really enjoy the moment i don't I personally don't think he's uh, being nervous is, is going to be a factor. I know he said in, in his recent press conference that he had kind of nervous energy and he wasn't able to to get to sleep. But I think that will be out of his system by the time of the final. I think he will really kind of enjoy it. As I said, I think he's matured and, you know, I still expect to see the odd outburst. And maybe, you know, that will be a tactic in terms of, trying to get Novak Djokovic, similar to Stefanos Tsitsipas, trying to get Djokovic embroiled on a more emotional level. But I'm just going to go, I'm, I think we've seen some funny things this tournament and I'm going to add Nick Kyrgios defeating Novak Djokovic in four sets to that list. I mean, I, I concur in the sense that Djokovic hasn't been at his most sublime this tournament. He's dropped mm. more sets than he would normally. Um, but he's had some interesting opponents, to be fair, like Tim Van Reithoven. Mm. Um, but I want it to be emotion versus emotion, though. I think both these players play best when like emotion is involved. And there's been you know times where you know they've been playing opponents where they've given them you know no you know, no emotion. You know, like Djokovic versus um, you know Sinner, Kyrgios versus Nakashima. But I really hope in this match that there is some fuse that is lit for me personally and early on in, in the match maybe in the first set or at the start of the second that is really gonna kick things to overdrive because as soon as I think that emotion gets involved in both sides all the crowd is going to be captivated and on edge and I think we're going to be in for a really good tennis match yeah I mean I was just thinking back to Kyrgios first round you know he almost lost to Paul Jubb this thing's gonna yeah. be very different for him this tournament and you know Berrettini withdrew what Paul Jubb Cool job, made <laughs> cool job the I'm not saying that, um, <laughs> but you know, Berrettini was supposed to be in his section with Drew. Mm. Rafa's withdrawn. He's he's had some luck. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be there. Um, although I do think it would have been interesting with Rafa. Um, I think I think Rafa would have been playing well enough to um, to have come past him in the semi. I, I don't know. Although I I predicted Kiros to win, didn't I? But that's that's only because of the injury. And I would have loved to have seen Rafa had a crack at Novak in the final because I think Rafa's level is or I think Novak's level isn't as much isn't as good as when they played like three years ago and, and Rafa narrowly lost that so it would have been really interesting however it's not the way it has panned out and I, I'm going to go with Djokovic so I think Djokovic will win in f- five sets Ooh, five I think sets. if it goes five if it goes five it goes crunch time Novak's winning I mean they've both got great five set records I think Kyrgios hasn't lost in five sets at Wimbledon. So 
it's it's really it's really interesting but it, it's interesting because of any which way it could go because you know that that Djokovic could also if he's if he's got his returning game ready to go from point one and it'll be interesting I think to read to see how you know those early service games in the match to see how Djokovic is handling that curious serve it could be lights out for Kyrgios very, very early on if he, if if Djokovic is just able to read that, you know, easily get get Kyrgios frustrated, not being able to do what he wants to do. I think also Novak has the capacity to obviously just pull out of performance, totally winning champions' performance, and nail mm. him in three sets. And we have seen, you know, players beat Novak in slam finals like Medvedev or Stan, you know, back in the day. But both of those occasions, Novak was going for something for the first time, like his first Roland Garros, you know, and, um, you know, doing the calendar slam. This time, he's not really, yes, he's going to for 21 slams to be like one closer to Rafa. And and also people are saying, you know, if he can't play in New York, can't play in Australia next year, it's going to be a while before he gets another crack at a Grand Slam. Mm. But I think that Novak will be calmer than those situations where mm. people or first-time finalists have managed to beat him in, in slam finals. So I'm still going to go with him. <laughs> There's some parallels, aren't there, mm. between you know this final and the final last year because he came up against another big server. Mm, that's true. You know, with a big forehand in in Berrettini, and you know was able to eventually again get it done. You know, one in four sets. I think he dropped the first set. So you know, there are yeah there are parallels there. But yeah, I'm I'm going I'm going to go for a different outcome here, and I think we're going to get a a very rare non big three grand slam champion wow especially at wimbledon that is very much a rarity <laughs> i can't remember the last time a non-big four person <laughs> won wimbledon i mean who would it have been i can't even think even isovich uh <laughs> I no I, would it have been Leighton hewitt andy roddick it would have been oh, no, andy roddick never it won. would have been Leighton he- would have been before federer has it been 20 years since a big four hasn't won wimbledon Exactly. Wow. Got to break that streak, Kim. <laughs> Got to break that streak. My lord. Okay. Right. Let's take a quick break now. Um, or we'll be here all night talking about these two. Uh, <laughs> do join us in the second half, everyone, where we'll be having a look back on um, the women's semi-finals and previewing the women's finals at the championships. So do not go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to our Wimbledon semi-finals catch-up, sponsored by local tennis leagues. And now we're going to move on to looking back on the women's semi-finals from Thursday. Let's start with Elena Rabakina against Simona Hallett, which was the second semi-final. Uh, this did not go the way I was expecting, Joel. I was so sure Hallett was was going to just come through quite comfortably in straight sets, as she has been doing. You know, I really thought she was like had honed herself into another champions you know performance and um, mm. would definitely you know reach the final I was I was quite confident but yeah it was it was not her day um she was not having a very good day on serve uh nine double faults which was a lot um and yeah Rebecca was very focused her serve was very much on point mm. and yeah. yeah she just out hit Simona Hallett and Simona Hallett you know has been playing really well so Elena Rabakina, um, she surprised me. And I think she surprised a lot of people with that performance. No, I agree. Because <laughs> we were just talking about, is this is going to be Anna Samova 2.0 mm. um, in, the, in the ladies' semi-final? Um, yeah, I was reading some comments from Halep's coach, Muratoglu, about kind of the reason for the defeat. And, you know, he was talking about, quite interestingly, about the fact that she's played a lot of tennis. You know, she's played four straight weeks, I think, of, of grass court tournaments, and perhaps it, it caught up to her a little bit. And although you know she had you know had the tools, I think, to beat Rybakina in in the semi-finals, she was just you know emotionally spent and didn't have the kind of mental effort and energy to apply herself, I think, to the proposition of of, of Rybakina across you know across the net from her. You know, having said that, Rybakina played a you know a great game. Is just a very 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 tricky opponent you know she is in that mold of I know we spoke about Anna Samova but you know thinking about past Wimbledon ladies champions she is in that mold of like a, a Petra Kvitova or a Garbina Muguruza in terms of that that ball and how hard she strikes it and you're always going to be dangerous aren't you Kim with that sort of game when it is on if it's off it can get away from you very quickly but and I think you know Anna Samova showed that but 
at the same time, when you come up against someone who played, for me, an inspired level of, of, of tennis in, in the semi-final, and she needed to, I think, against you know Halep, who you know was coming in with very very good momentum. Yeah, she was she was just leather. She was just leathering the ball, and um, you know it's hard to deal with. I think particularly when it starts with the serve. Just, you know, despite you know Halep is a, a very very good returner, but it's hard to stop that that right back in the serve and, and do what you want to do with it. Um, you know, from the returner point of view, so um, decent win for her, but perhaps a little bit unexpected as well. Yeah, and I think it was her first time on centre court. All her matches, you know, previously had well either been court one or another court. So she handled the occasion very well. And I think we mm. were all sort of expecting her to falter in the second set. You know, she was a set and, and a break up. And you kind of, there was a few erratic, like, it's a bit shots. nervy. Yeah. Did get a bit nervy. A little didn't bit it? Of, of nerves. But she managed to kind of rein that in and, and pull it together. And, and, you know, it was in the end very, very calm and composed, which. I think, you know, we, you've, you've got to be if you're in these situations in a Grand mm. Slam for the first time. So I was very impressed by her her demeanour and her poise. Um, and she said, you know, afterwards that she was trying very, very hard to um, to just be very mentally strong and, and stable. Mm. Um, and, you know, she's, she's into her first Grand Slam final, first player representing Kazakhstan to be in this position. I mean, what I find very interesting is the fact that, you know, she was born in Russia. She lives in Russia. Well, that's her official residence. Um, she moved to uh, represent Kazakhstan, I think, in 2018, 2017, mm. 2018, because essentially the, the Federation were offering her, you know, more money um, funding. So I do wonder if, if Rebecca is to win tomorrow, if, you know, how much is going to be made of, of her Russian background and heritage whether Wimbledon are thinking, oh no, like people are going to be thinking it's very ironic that <laughs> essentially a Russian <laughs> has, has won Wimbledon despite the ban. I mean, <laughs> I, I, my impression is the role that Russia played in in Rybakina getting to the final in a, in a, in the loosest sense possible is we didn't back her and mm. give her any funding to a point that she was like, well, I'm off to Kazakhstan because they're going to offer me lots more support. But no, I, I think in all seriousness, no, I think she's, I think I've, I was reading in, in, in an interview, she's a bit sick and tired of all these kind of questions being raised about her, you know, her heritage. Yes, it's, it's, it is a talking point. It's going to continue to be a talking point. Kim, the talking point though, for me, that is the most interesting though, is her record in finals. It's not very good. Um, she's lost, I believe, her last four finals. So I think there's going to be big question marks in terms of, being able to play her game on the on the biggest stage of all, and yes, it will be a battle against another first time finalist in Onjabor. But she is a player who I don't think has any of that nervous energy that that maybe Rybakina and, and Nick Kyrgios share. So for me, that is the more the bigger talking point, particularly in regards to the match um, you know coming up. Is how does she block that block all those finals and ending up as the runner up? out of her mind and go into that match firmly believing that I've got a chance of becoming a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, I think she's only won two WTA titles, but has certainly been in something mm. about like eight finals. So um, a bit of a Felix uh, Ogier-Aseem mm. situation, kind of, um, in the sense of, you know, not the great uh, record It's not that bad finals. yet, but it's, it's certainly getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Prove me wrong, Elena. Go on. Um, but yeah, she she will be playing on Jabor in the final because on Jabor came through against Tatiana Maria uh, in three sets. It was 6-2, So obviously, the, you know, these two are very, very good friends. They know each other very well. Um, and, you know, it was an entertaining match for a bit. But ultimately, you know, on Jabor came out very, very strong finish to the match. Um, and you know, didn't really look back uh, at the start of that that fifth set, uh, fifth set, third set, I should say. <laughs> um, although you know, Tatiana Maria, she's she's battled through her last two matches. You know, she's very much a, a used to playing a long three set match. So you did think when it went to that third, oh, was she going to come back again? <laughs> um, but yeah, not this, not this time. <laughs> no, exactly. And I think what you know, what was interesting for you know Jabor was that. Yes, we all know her about her kind of variety, particularly her kind of slice game. But I noticed watching it on TV, the slice, the slice backhand. I mean, it was just kind of used exclusively by Tatiana Maria. 
he doesn't really have a, a double-handed backhand. Whereas your boar does possess that that slice backhand, but she can also hit flat on the on the double hander. And I felt just attack by just by attacking that backhand wing of Maria, a lot of the shots that come, were coming back were very floaty, very kind of in the middle of the court, there to be hit. And that is when I felt Jabor could turn to her double-handed backhand to really kind of assert her authority on the point. And um, I think that was one of the reasons, particularly in that first set, why you know she almost kind of overpowered, I think, Maria to kind of begin with. Yes, Maria did kind of fight back in that second set and Jabor went a little bit off the boil, but um, it just sort of proved, I think, to be a momentary blip. And she really kind of ran away with it in that third set. And uh, you, Kim, you just can't not be helped be happy i feel for um for Jabor because she's such a crowd pleaser everyone seems to love her she i think has won the most matches on the wta tour aggregated over the last two seasons she's you know she's in form at the moment and um you know she's she's just she's just a crowd pleaser i just don't feel like unlike you know nick kyrgios and, and novak djokovic in the you know in the men's final i just don't feel like she has any detractors at the moment yeah and i mean she hasn't lost a match since that first round defeat at Roland Garros mm. you know she won Birmingham she, she you know she's she's very comfortable on the surface she's playing great she's very likable she's you know made a, a lot of inroads uh you know of late over the last few seasons if you, if, you know going back she's you know at her highest uh ranking now she's you know number two in the world um now a Grand Slam finalist you know she's making history for for her country mm. you know she's the first Tunisian and first African woman uh, to to get to a slam final, first Arab player to do that as well. So all these like milestones and, um, you know, she's sort of talked at length about how she'd love to have, you know, more people from from Africa, you know, from the Middle East to to get playing tennis, to get to these situations. I mean, obviously, Joel, you know, you're a massive Malik Jaziri fan. So perhaps mm. perhaps he'll be inspired <laughs> by, yes. by Jabor's run and, and you know, well, he'll be the next one. <laughs> well, it's it's fascinating you say that because do you remember when obviously, you know, Lee Nar got to a Grand Slam final the first time and, you know, TV viewing figures went completely off the charts in, in, in China and, and tennis, I felt, was really elevated in, in that country you know, ever since. And um, it feels like this, again, is is one of those opportunities where with kind of not just kind of Tunisia, but as you said, Middle East, Africa, really kind of putting, you know, tennis on the map in a part of the world that, you know, has had, you know, past players who have done well and have applied their trade on, you know, at the, at the top at the top level, both on the, you know, the ATP and WTA tours. But I'd be really interesting to see the, you know, the TV viewing figures for this match, given it feels like it could be, a historic occasion for someone like Anjabor if she was going to go on and win the title. I mean, it will be a historic occasion for for both players. As well. I mean, whoever wins, mm. because so they're both going for the first Grand Slam, but they're also the first player from their countries or representing their countries um, to win. Mm. You know, they would be the first player to win a, a Slam title as well. So, regardless, we're going to have kind of a, a first and. Um, you know they have played i think a couple of times before they they've got a win each um but they haven't played i think since last year in in dubai where where jabor won um so i i i've kind of feel when i'm link, looking ahead to tomorrow's final um i think it it could be a close match but ultimately the one thing that gives me or not gives me the edge but gives jabor the edge i should say is is i think her variety i think she will be able to deal with Rabakina's um, perhaps more one-dimensional game and when push comes to shove. Like like Simona Hallett did. Well, <laughs> yeah, I just, <laughs> I just feel that, you know, Jabor's got a lot more variety and I think that when you, you kind of in these mm. situations, you, you, she's got a plan B if things are, you know, mm. she's up against yeah. the wall. And, and I think Rabakina, yeah, she's got a big serve, great ground strokes, a lot of power, but we know that that game is perhaps more likely to self-combust if if she's not hitting the lines, mm. if she's not getting her first serve in. I think Jabor's got a more reliable game, and I, yeah, that, that's a, my my edge goes to on Jabor. I would say it could be quite a to- topsy-turvy one. I don't expect it to be at all straightforward. I think there were going to be 
momentum shifts throughout the match go one way then the other but I certainly think at the maybe at the end of the day yeah I hope for me I hope Jabal wins I mean this match Kim is as you said a match between first time finalists and I think also I read it's the first match or it's one of the first matches um, in ladies finals where it doesn't involve a player from the continent of Europe or North America, United States. And um, again, it, it, for me, it's it's fascinating how, you know, we've ended up with this final. I don't, maybe you would have potentially have seen, uh, you know, scouted on Jabor at the start of the tournament, maybe to, to, to go all the way. But um, yeah, for me, the appeal is the, is the fact that we've got two players from tennis playing nations that seem to be on the up or representing p- tennis playing nations on, on the up. And uh, it really, I think, could do a lot in terms of opening up the sport to, you know, other parts of the world. And um, from that perspective, I'm, I'm sort of hoping on Jabal wins because I think if 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 she does it, I think it, we would maybe see the um, the ripple effect greater than say if Ryback and a one. But uh, I think it will be a, a close affair. But yeah, I think it'll come down to how well Ryback and can deal with, for example, the the drop shots. You know, the slice being low to the ground, you know, her movement, I think, is going to be very much under the microscope by uh, Jabor and whether Jabor and can you know execute her game, because there are times, particularly in that semi where she wasn't able to do that. Yes, she was able to kind of refocus and reset herself. But yeah, I think there are a few questions on both sides. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say against John Jabor is the fact that she will be feeling the pressure more, the expectation as mm. the higher seed. I think she loves it, though. Yeah, I don't think... I think she's really reined in the kind of nervousness that we've seen from her, like, years years gone by. I think she's really mm. got on top of that. Um, but, you know, this is obviously new territory for them both. So I think they're, they're both likely to to feel nerves. So, I don't know, I just feel that maybe Onjabor, as, as the, the favourite, essentially, is perhaps going to mm. be feeling that expectation more, you know. Uh, whereas Rebecca, in a, probably in her mind you know, needs to think of herself as the underdog and just think I need to just go for it. And I think if Rebecca yeah. plays lights out tennis and, you know, it's it's on point, I think she's got the potential to like win in straight sets. But I think if the match goes longer, if it goes to three, I definitely would favour Jabor. I think she's got a really good three set record. I think she she leads the, the tour in the terms of three set matches won um, and also just matches won generally, as you said. Mm. So I think, yeah, again, I think, I think Jabor in... Oh, in three or two? I think I'm going to go. I think I might go two actually, but I think it could be a sort of six four, seven six job potentially. Could could have a tie break. Mm, I hope it's a great I final. I I don't think that. I'm thinking Jabor in three, and I think it's going to be like six two two six six two uh, okay. or, or something <laughs> something like that. I do think there's going to be. I think I'm expecting a final where there's going to be. The majority of time, one player is going to be playing better or on top of their opponent uh, than both players playing well at the same time. And we get a really great spectacle. Maybe I hope to be proved wrong. But um, yeah, I always feel like with those clash of clash of styles, sometimes, yeah, it's more of like, I'll figure you out, then you figure me out. And it's sort of a bit of a to and throw approach as opposed to like they combine and mesh and great tennis is played as a result. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I... I don't know. It, it is. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm quite pleased with the final that we've got actually because I think it is. Um, mm. It's. It is. You know, a clash of styles again, and I think you know, similar to perhaps the men's final. You know, um, and I think it's. It's kind of a, a breath of fresh air as well. I mean, perhaps you could say that about all the women's finals at the moment. It's you know different players every time, but I think also it's. It's the first time that that we've actually had two new Slam finalists at Wimbledon. Um, because obviously a lot of Wimbledon in the last however many years has been dominated by by the Williams sisters. And obviously last year, we you know, Ash Barty and Pliskov had both been in, in the slam final. So I think it's actually a while since we've had two new slam finalists at Wimbledon. So I think, you know, maybe some of the the typical Wimbledon crowd won't, won't know these players, but I, I hope we get a good match, obviously. I mean, again, Kim, there are parallels there, aren't there, with the, the final last year? Mm. Barty, Variety, yep, yep. Pliskova. Yep. Big serve, flat baseline. So it's like it's similar sort of styles, isn't it, to last year? Just sort of new new names on the scoreboard. Hopefully, we won't have a, as painful a start to the match as we did last year with with <laughs> going like five love down. Oh, yes. 
I remember yes. watching that and she just couldn't get a ball mm. in court, you know, to start the match. Yeah. It was it was not pleasant. But, you know, she took it to three sets. In, yeah, in the end, it was all right. Set. That was that was all that was so impressive. Yeah. The, the fact that that happened. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I'll be interested. But yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Shabor in three. OK, I'm going to go Shabor as well. So Shabor and uh, well, we're, <laughs> we're split on the men, but we're, we're in agreement on the women. I think one match that is probably going to go five sets is the men's doubles final though, Joel, which is tomorrow uh, as well. And that's uh, Mektic and Pavic second seeds against Ebden and Purcell, the 14th seeds from Australia. So that will follow Rabakina and Onjabor. Now I was not very pleased yesterday with the first men's doubles semi-final because unfortunately Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram lost from two sets up mm, five match painful. points and some of those match points they really should have I mean they hit a double fault on one of them um I think Rajiv hit a forehand like long as well on another so and then it just you know they kind of got whooped in the in the end in that that final set so I was I was just thinking oh what an opportunity missed as I'm sure they were um but yeah we've got I think that 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 doubles final will be um I think it'll be quite a close one. Mektich and Pavage came through in, in a fifth set against Cabal and Farah yesterday. So they've played quite a lot of tennis. I mean, Matt Ebden's played a lot of tennis because he was also in the mixed doubles final, which um, went the way of, of his opponent, actually, uh, which was fortunately for Britain, Neil Skupski and um, Desiree Korzik. They won it last year. They've defended their title. So I think it's the first time in... I think about 25 years that someone has defended a mixed doubles at Wimbledon. Really impressive. So really good stuff. I was straight sets. Yeah, very pleased. straight sets in the final. Mm. And you know, Kim, I'm a massive Stamps. As all our <laughs> listeners know, I'm a massive Sam Stoza yeah, fan. So, he gutted. Uh, up really, up, yeah, truly, truly gutted. Um, her and Empton. No, no, it was un- it was unfortunate for them. But yeah, Skupski and Korchik just played better on the day. And Kim, just to add to that, Cabal Farah, Mektich Pavic. I was, t- I was telling you before we started recording, is that not the most quintessential Grand Slam doubles semi-final match? The only thing that could have made it more quintessential was it going to a last set tie break in the fifth set. And lo and behold, it did. It did. <laughs> no, I mean, the men's doubles, because we still play best of five at Wimbledon. It's the only slam that they still do that for the men's doubles. It's... um you know, it, it does bring up these very close epics. Um, I mean, Kim, Ram and Salisbury would have been in the final if it was best of three. In that case, it should be best of three. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, um, we've also got the wheelchair action going on. Um, Alfie, Alfie Hewitt had a really good semi-final today. Came from a set down to beat Gustavo Fernandez. He's into the men's singles wheelchair final. Um, him and Gordon Reed are also playing at the moment as we're recording in the doubles. Um, De Groot, De Groot and Van Coot, Joel, are also in in proceedings. You'll be pleased to know. I think they're scheduled <laughs> in their semi tomorrow. Um, so we'll update everything from that side on um, Sunday. And the women's doubles is also, uh, we've got Sinyakova and Krajikova in the women's doubles final, which will take place on Sunday. And Collins... Krojic, Zhang and Mertens are in a third set at the moment. So um, Krojic still on potentially to win two titles. Yeah, I will say just on that wheelchair singles match with Alfie Hewitt, watched a little bit of it early on number one court. I thought it was a very smart move by Wimbledon to put it on number one court. I think it was great showcase for wheelchair tennis. It was a great match, went three hours plus and uh, yeah, really, really dramatic stuff. And uh, I know there was been calls earlier in the week about the fact that players feeling disappointed. I think Alfie Hewitt particularly called it out that, you know, the wheelchair tennis is still out on those outside courts. And um, I do think, you know, Kim, we are entering more of a, you know, a, a, a change, I think, particularly with with disability tennis and the fact that, yeah, I think it should get its day on 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 a show court, not just on the outside court so you know from that perspective I think it was really like long overdue actually that um they were out on on number one and again it was just a great showcase I think for the event I think you know there'll be some people say that yeah it only was there because you know they they had a spot they had a spot to fill on center and the ladies doubles went on there and everything got kind of shifted but I hope the kind of organizers look at this in the future and and just show that there is appetite there beyond just putting it out on a on an outside court and I hope that in the future it can be incorporated more into 
the show court schedule. Yeah, because a lot of the time it's kind of exposure, isn't it? People would enjoy mm. it and would watch it, but they're just not exposed to it because it's never put on prime time, you know, mainstream yeah. courts and everything. So, yeah, definitely, hopefully it's it's helped boost the, the visibility and the profile because um, it was a fantastic match. And, you know, there's absolutely no reason why it shouldn't be. So, um, you know, we wish Alfie here all the best for the final. And, um, yeah, we'll be rounding up everything. A uh, bit of juniors as well going on, obviously, with the finals uh, over the weekend. So we'll be back on Sunday to, to round all the action up, um, to lament a potential disruption in the men's <laughs> final i really don't know what's going to happen there it could be a yeah absolute I, what are we going to talk about what are we going to talk <laughs> oh, about i don't know yeah. but uh yeah we'll find out we'll find out by sunday listeners i hope you enjoyed listening to this semi-finals catch up with tennis weekly remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on to stay up to date on all the action to come over finals weekend at wimbledon we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So don't forget to give us a like and a follow if you don't already. And let us know any questions or feedback that you may have for us as well. If you prefer, you can do this via email by emailing us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com and don't forget to check out our website as well www.tennisweekly.co.uk and listeners we will be back on sunday at tennis weekly hq to catch up on all the finals action at wimbledon so i hope you can join us for that but in the meantime it's goodbye from kim goodbye and it's goodbye from me we will see you again soon